0: I wanted to get the business out of the way as quickly as possible because we have a returning guest, a returning champion, as Sam Tripoli would say, Um, the host of the Corbett Report. I don't know. Do we need much of an introduction for James Corbett? He's been doing it for fifteen plus years. I don't think so, ladies and gentlemen. The great James Corbett is back. Hello, James. Good to see you again. No, I demand a lengthy,
1: voluminous introduction <laughs> listing all of my great. No, okay. Well,
0: you're I gonna have that. to go to Greg hey, Carlwood I I... for that because Greg will Greg will give you a good, uh, a really good intro that, that that'll blow you away. I've give you this. I'll give you the short version now. Everybody knows you. Everybody knows your work and and. And, you know, I mean, I think in, in some ways everybody has been, you know, it's hard to say who, how, how you woke up to this or who was inspirational to you. And it's, it's sort of a mix of everything, but, but you were part of my awakening as well. You know, I mean, the, the stories that, that I, that I heard about from you that I would have never found anywhere else. I think a lot of people, uh, you know, I think they appreciate, they obviously appreciate your level of detail and, and the amount of work that you put into this, but also just the fact that you, you could deliver some bad news in a way that kind of funny, you know, you made it easy to digest. And I think people really appreciate that. So um, what's been, uh, I'll tell you, I I, I was curious to get your take on this, especially because you're somebody that has the ability to kind of peek behind the curtains and see what's going on here. But this whole, I don't even think I've even talked to you about the Russia, Ukraine thing. And frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm just exhausted talking about it, but the, Wagner Group component. This this is a relatively new thing. The private mercy the Blackwater of Russia, right? The uh, Eric Prince is so jealous. Um, they had this. They had a coup, I guess. Apparently, I don't know. Did they schedule it? It seemed like it seemed like very performative to me. I mean, we've got. I mean, we've got Zelensky, who is actually an actor. So, I mean, I guess we're not too far off. What was your take on this? Was this real, or was this some sort of performance art? Well, let me preface uh,
1: my comments on this by saying that I am sick to death of the stuck on stupid comic book conversation that surrounds this topic in the so-called erstwhile independent alternative media that really has a propaganda line that it seems to everyone seems to be singing from the same hymn book. And I don't know, I don't have that hymn book, so I'm not going to sing from it. But the idea that is propounded in almost every corner of the alt media that I see is that Russia great Putin Russia is Putin it's a monolith and everything that happens in Russia is Putin and Putin is a good guy who is fighting the evil west and everything Russia does is good anything bad that happens in Russia of course is a CIA plot etc and i'm i'm sick to death of hearing all of that nonsense especially especially from English speakers who don't speak a lick of Russian, never read a Russian source, don't don't live in Russia, don't know anyone in Russia. But man, they're going to tell you what's happening in Russia. So please do not come to James Corbett for the detailed, in-depth analysis of what is happening in Russia in the internal political system there and the rivalries between the various oligarchs and things that are happening. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't ask that of anyone. I wouldn't I would say I would question your uh, in, your intelligence if you were asking for me for that level of detail. I know you are not doing that, but I I know that there are people out there who don't because it's never stated, it's never openly talked about, it's never even thought about. You know why am I listening to this this person? You know in in America or wherever they are in the world who doesn't even speak Russian about their analysis of Russia? It is stupid anyway. Just like absolutely every corner of the world, anywhere. Anywhere that anyone is listening to us in this conversation will know, can you imagine if your country, your entire country was defined by the the actions of its erstwhile president or prime minister or whatever, and everything is just boiled down to that, and everything that happens in the country is the result of this or that? It's just stupid. So anyway, if you want a different perspective, I recently had a conversation with a Blogger called uh, Rolo Slavsky, who has a very different take than what you're probably going to hear in a lot of the corners of the independent media that I'm talking about. Where essentially what he is talking about is the the very voluminous backstory to this to this really a- crazy events that have happened in the past week that didn't just happen in the past week. This has been building up for months and months, years really, if you want to go far enough back. And it involves personal beefs between this CEO head of The Wagner Group, I guess it's probably Wagner, but I'm a dumb Canadian. I'm just going to say Wagner and uh, (laughs) and and the the minister of defense there in Russia, Sergei Shoigu, and what was their beef and what was happening between them and why why was Wagner Group being used in Ukraine? But then they weren't being fed supplies and there was this crazy videos that were going on. So there's this huge story surrounding this. It didn't just come out of nowhere. And it's not necessarily just some sort of CIA plot. There are genuine factions and rivalries and oligarchs and struggles and things that happen in Russia that are not just part of some fabricated, you know, Western intelligence thing. Of course, this does play into the hands of the evil Western NATO empire that I constantly decry. Because, of course, the first thing people will hear when they hear me talking about this, well, you're for NATO and you love everything. No, in fact, I have been put on the prop or not Russian propaganda list Precisely well, because the thing that they cited in that anonymous proper not thing that was going around a few years ago was my my work specifically talking and calling out NATO as the force, the greatest uh, threat to the planet or whatever that particular video was entitled. So, no, I am not a NATO fan. I know that the Western intelligence is uh, eyeballs deep in Ukraine and everything that's going on there and that this is part of a much bigger proxy war that's going on. Et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not defending NATO, but I'm not defending Russia either. I think every person who presumes to rule over a population is inherently evil, but also specifically the things that that is happening in Putin's Russia is evil, including all of the biosecurity nonsense that we have seen in every other country in the world is happening in Russia, too including the, the potential introduction of the QR codes and the scanners and the oh, yeah. vaccine passports. And, oh, don't worry, they've got the good Sputnik V vaccine, <laughs> which is literally a direct copy of the AstraZeneca vaccine. But don't think about those details, guys. Again, as you can see, I am just sick of people standing up for Russia in the independent media as if they are crusaders who are going to save us from the evil Western empire. It doesn't work that way. Anyway, I I presume that you are not a statist like myself. I am not a statist. You're not a statist. So we can see through this. But unfortunately, a lot of people are still clinging to the idea that if they just back the right leader, he will lead them to glory. And I'm saying I think there's some crazy stuff that's happening in Russia that isn't necessarily part of a Western plot.
0: Yeah. Well, agreed with all of that. I mean, there is a tendency to dumb it down and say well you know, this is the good who's the good guys in this it's like well is it possible that we could we just have uh, no there aren't good guys i mean we're talking about war and people ask me like what's your policy on what would you say your stance is towards the world i'd say i am anti-war first and foremost so there's you know i'm not going to cheerlead uh, a war that you that russia started and, and i'm not going to pretend like it was you know in the west western media is uh Unprovoked attack. That's the, the term they use. Unprovoked attack. Like, oh, it wasn't really unprovoked. I mean, I'm not in favor of war, but let's also not pretend like it was unprovoked. I mean, they've been messing around for a long time. And also, if we're gonna if we're gonna get real honest about it. There are issues back in World War II and far be, before that, that that has always been a problem between you know Ukraine and Russia and the relationship they have. It is complicated, and it is not an area of expertise for me. Like you yeah. said, I don't speak Russian. I, I've never been to Ukraine. I don't understand the ins and outs, the infighting, the, that history, how you could live in Ukraine but be ethnically Russian. I mean, I'm trying to like – you know, look around the United States and understand like, is there an area? Could, could I make some sort of comparison of like an area? Like, what if Massachusetts was like ethnically Canadian? You know what I mean? And like, I'd be like well, and then Canada invades America, but they don't go really hard against Massachusetts. I mean, the whole thing, like, I, yeah. I'm not going to pretend. Can I just
1: interject with something there because you raise an Please. important point? Please. I would I would invite people to just take a look at whatever analyst you like in this sphere with regards to Russia and look at what they were saying, say in January of 2022. When the State Department started floating all this stuff, they're going to they're going to invade Ukraine, guys. They're going to invade Ukraine. And look at the analysts and see if they were saying yes, great, Russia should invade Ukraine, or were they saying no? That's garbage. U.S. State Department propaganda. They're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. And then in February of 2022, did they change on a dime and say yes, this is good. It's part of the Putin's master plan. Great. And look at this. They're storming across the country right to Kiev. This is all going to be over in five days. It's the biggest win in the history of military interventions anywhere, except when they pull away from Kiev and none of that materializes into any sort of military victory. But that's okay because that was part of the plan, guys. It was a feint and they were just diverting those Ukrainians. Man, Putin is winning so hard in the Donbass. And now I guess the plan has always been and was from the very beginning to keep sending Russians into this meat grinder for month after month after month after month after month after month month with no decisive military victories and nothing to show for it. This is all part of the plan. He's winning. Where have you heard this type of analysis before? Personally, I got sick to death of hearing this analysis about Trump and how hard he was winning, guys. And James, you just don't get it. Trump's a great guy and he's going to save the universe if only Trump was in power when the scandemic hit. Oh, Oh, wait. wait, Oh, Operation Warp Speed. Uh, Trump, his greatest accomplishment was getting uh, the uh, warp speeding the vaccines in everyone's arms, right? Yeah. People just keep falling for the same nonsense over and over and over because they want to believe it. And I get it. I want to believe it too, but it's not real. And we have to stop believing in nonsense just because we want to believe it.
0: Well, I, I've got to give you credit too, because you and I talked about, you. Yeah, speaking of COVID, you and I talked two weeks into... COVID. It was the tail end of March 2020. And you said to me, and I'll never forget this because it was so and you 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 prefaced it by saying, I don't want to give these lunatics an ID, idea, any ideas, but I think they already have the ideas. But like, what if it wasn't overt martial law like tanks and troops on the street corners? What if it was a little bit more, I don't know, covert, a little bit different? What if it was medical martial law? What if they convinced everybody to stay in their house and they made it really fun? The first time around, and then, then they let they then they opened the doors and said, "Go on out, you're free." And everyone said, "Remember lockdowns? We ate Hagen Dazs and we watched Netflix and we got a uh, Peloton delivered to our house and we were working it from home and it was great. We spent all the time with the kids. And then the lockdown, the second time, they said, "Up oh, lockdowns again," and they brought you in the house and and that time and they don't let you out after that. And I thought, "Oh God, James, you know." <laughs> You know, you might be on to something here. And the medical martial law component of that was spot on. I mean, you saw what was going on. And I think this just has to do with, you know, a lot of practice, a lot of insight into how these you understand how these lunatics think. They don't.
1: It's not because I'm a genius. It's because they've been openly talking about it for decades. That's why I had my medical martial law podcast back in 2009 at that time showing all the infrastructure that was being laid out for exactly what we saw in 2020.
0: And they and we walked right into it and and they set this trap and we walked right into it. And and um so I wonder um since, since you are, you know, not Nostradamus, you're just somebody that reads their reports and then takes them at their word that they're going to try to put in place what they're writing about where are we going from here because we've got more simulations we've got more you know we hear they they test market things every now and then some of them work some of them don't monkey pox and it didn't really work and then you hear um you know a hemorrhagic fever and stuff you know oh, that sounds really scary it's a long but that's such a long name, and we have so many dummies in America, they'll never be able to say that. So where are we going now? Where where's where's the um where, where's the United Nations taking us? Where's this? Is this is this a world health organization, global health takeover? Is that the way this is all gonna get folded into a world government? Are we just gonna be grouped up regionally? Like, what's your take?
1: Well, I want to say this isn't going to be one particular thing. It's going to be everything. But there was no handy-dandy word to say that until the Bilderbergers, WEFers, whoever it was, came up with the wonderful term polycrisis. Because I think that's probably the word for what we're heading into. So for people who want sort of the the philosophical, legal, judicial background to what we are heading into, I would suggest they uh, check out a podcast that I released early last year on states of emergency, where I made the bold proclamation that we have entered a new era of political history, essentially, in which the new governing paradigm of the planet is ruled by emergency. And it was interesting. I I had been thinking about that concept and trying to lay it out in a podcast for months before the point at which I released it. And then I released it. And I think it was literally a couple of days later, um, the uh, government of Ontario declared the state of emergency over the Freedom Convoy, which became the Emergencies Powers Act that Trudeau invoked and all of that. So, wow, it's weird when you do this work, some of the synchronicities and things that happen and things that are just floating around in the zeitgeist. But anyway, I think that's that's sort of what we have to grasp is that we have entered this paradigm where it is constant emergency and crisis, which will be the justification for whatever's coming next. So, yes, will there be more bio related events? Absolutely. I'm sure they're not just going to put that gun back in the holster and never use it again. Um, obviously, part of the point of the past few years has been to set the infrastructure for subsequent events. And we all remember Gates laughing maniacally about oh they'll they'll pay attention next time to the next pandemic and he was writing about pandemic two pandemic ii like world war ii we're gonna have to fight like world war ii and blah 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 i wonder how he knows all this and uh, all of that so yes there will be more with with regards to that and the thing that i've been concentrating on quite a bit lately is the who's pandemic treaty and the amendments to the international health regulations both both vectors, if you will, towards the distra- utter obliteration of any idea of national sovereignty, obviously, as this non-statist, I don't like to put it in those terms. But hey, we're heading in the wrong direction towards more centralization of control in the hands of fewer and fewer global oligarchs, as um, evidenced by the, the WHO and its actions over the past few years. So that is that is absolutely coming to further solidify into actual black and white legal documents. That we are all expected to abide by what will happen in the event of the next pandemic, including such things as, of course, the creation of the digital health certificate infrastructure, which people might have seen recently. The uh, the WHO and the UN are adopting the EU's digital health certificates that they rolled out over the past few years. And you might recall uh, that the EU released some documents. Was it 2018? Uh, anyway, I've linked to them before about their roadmap that they were going to have some sort of vaccine passport, digital health certificate system in place by 2022. Wow. How did they know? Anyway, um, so that absolutely is on the agenda. And as I say, I don't think we're done with the bio scares. And probably I would imagine that the again. I don't want to speak things into existence. And as you say, this is what I was doing a few years ago, right? Yeah. Having said that, anyway, uh, honestly, I think that the next vector on all of this will be a bio-warfare, bioterror terror event uh, that will be blamed on whatever convenient boogeyman that they want to pull out of the hat, whether it's Russia, China, North Korea, some shadowy terrorist group that no one's ever heard of before, whatever, whatever fits the agenda at that particular moment, um, some sort of bio-warfare, bio-weapon um, release. And... Hey, who knows? This one might be actually real and really deadly. Um, it doesn't have to be, as we've seen over the past few years. They can make anything they want into anything they want with media control, telling people this is a big thing and you better not get sick. But anyway, um, there are bioweapons, um, uh, mosquitoes and ticks and other things have been weaponized. Uh, where do you think Lyme disease came from? And why did it pop up near U.S. biological weapons uh, laboratories? Hmm. I, James, anyway, we were told
0: that that's a coincidence.
1: Okay, uh, total coincidence. And if you look into it, you're a conspiracy theorist who deserves to be shunned from the face of the planet. Anyway, I think that is in in uh, in the poker deck, the card deck, shall we say, that could be played at any time. Um, But in terms of other things, as I say, it's the poly crisis, right? So I definitely expect a monetary event in the coming years that will be the justification for the changeover to the CBDC paradigm. Um, That will probably, I, I think they have to set up the digital ID infrastructure before that can really be rolled out in the way they want to roll it out. These things can happen simultaneously and in conjunction, but... I think they need the digital ID infrastructure in place for the CBDC slash social credit slash ESG slash, you know, whatever they come up with uh, uh, system that will be the control system. And generally speaking, when we think of monetary shift, paradigm shifting events, it generally comes with warfare. So of course the last major monetary shift parad- paradigm shift was the creation of the Bretton Woods system which of course happened at the tail end of World War II. And that's not a coincidence, it's because hey, we've just blown up the uh, the entire chessboard, time to put it back in order in our new world order as it were. So unfortunately I do I really do think we are heading towards some sort of hot war. And I don't even know what that looks like in the year 2023 or 2027 or whenever it happens, but uh, I'm betting it won't be a good thing. Let's put it that
0: way. Yeah. I was talking to Whitney Webb about that too. She, she is of the belief that the f- first component is that that ID, is that, that once you have that, you can build off of that and you can you can really sort of track who's who and then that becomes the you know, that, that gets tied to the CBDCs. And, and look, I, I know that finance is boring for a lot of people. And I know that people kind of glaze over when you talk about banking and, and, and I get that, but, but it's, it's important for us to pay attention. You you can hate banking whenever you want, but, but right now the idea of programmable money that those lunatics are in charge of, to me, sounds like the hill to die on the, you know, because, and, and, and maybe that maybe they intend it to be a hill that we all die on, too. But but that this idea of allowing somebody to have, you know, the fourth quarter Christmas numbers just came in and they were 16 percent below last year's. And, you know, we just have to goose the, the velocity of money, get you guys spending again. So we've decided that, uh, you know, 20 percent of your CBDCs are going to expire in 90 days. So get to spending, you know, you'll own nothing. And 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 be happy, as Klaus says, because you can't save anything because your money is evaporating. It it like at like a like an hourglass, you know, like a, a flip over an hourglass and watch it disappear. And so, I, oh, I mean, you uh, you get the same creeping feeling about the programmable money. I mean, you and I have been an Arcapulco. We've heard Berwick talk about Bitcoin and, and Monero and these things. And this is great. This is, this is a, a form of cryptocurrency. But I think the average person goes, oh, all of this is crypto. And you go, no, no, no. CBDCs are something different. So are you getting that feeling too, that they're going to use this uh, CBDCs kind of blur the lines between what crypto is and isn't?
1: Yes. And for people who don't know my take on this, I would suggest they watch the Bitcoin PSYOP. I know there are a number of people who have heard that title of a podcast episode that I did a few years ago and Mm -hmm. assume that they know what that means. But I guarantee you, you don't know what that means from the title. But yes, essentially, of course, the idea of programmable money and uh, central bank digital currency. Oh my God, this is that Bitcoin thing I was hearing about, right? Well, No, there is uh, actually a bit of a difference here. And yes, the the absolute core of the idea, the, the absolutely central kernel of the idea was decentralization. There is no central bank. There is no one who has control over this, this decentralized network. That is the entire raison d'etre of cryptocurrency, at least as it was originally presented. But What do they do? They steal the real and sell you back the fake, as uh, James Pilato at MediaMonarchy.com likes to say, and it's absolutely true. And in this case here, guys, here's that digital currency thing you're talking about, Bitcoin, Monero uh, and CBDC whatever just go with it guys and here's your digital wallet and it'll all be great yes um but for people let's address that first point that you made because yes people's eyes glaze over when they hear about finance and monetary and blah 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 but this is this is the mechanism of control of the of human society and people who don't understand that I, i i i keep looking around for someone to come up with the definitive conspiracy realist version of um, history, as in from a monetary history perspective, because there is quite a tale to be told. But essentially, uh, one way that I like to um, to encapsulate the incredible importance of this subject, when I did my uh, Century of Enslavement documentary several years ago, uh, I remember, I, I vividly re- ha- remember going through that history of in that case specifically the american central banking war that waged for a century and a half before the creation of the federal reserve and the back and forth in that war and how it was such an incredibly important central part of American politics for a very long time and entire political movements arose on the back of this. And you had uh, the cross of gold and the famous speech and and uh, the free silver movement and all of the incredible tectonic shifts and movements that were taking place um, around this issue. And then 1913 and the creation of the Federal Reserve and the monetary issue and the banking issue goes away as a political issue and is never talked about again, despite the fact that, as I show in that documentary, obviously the Fed has been behind every disastrous foreign policy misadventure, let alone everything else, um, for the past century of its existence, existence. Again, no coincidence because the spigot of monetary control is the key and yes, they pepper it with all sorts of jargon and nonsense to make it, oh, who cares? But I can tell you when, uh, when Ron Paul was running in 2008 and you had entire arenas full of people chanting, end the fed, end the fed, that was a truly revolutionary moment. That is that that looks like things that were happening, you know, 150 years ago back when people knew and cared about this issue and mm-hmm. understood this affects me and my family and everything that I do in my life. This is a core central issue. And that awareness was being raised, but of course now it's kind of moved on and What's the thing this week? I think Ukraine might be last week. What are we supposed to be concentrating on this week? So unfortunately, we may have missed that moment to seize on that opportunity. But at the very least, the conversation has been raised and hopefully we can get more people thinking about this. But in that regard, yes, for people who don't know, the monetary system that we've been living under is not even the bread and wood system. It's the, the sort of the fallout, the, the, the shell hole that was left by the destruction of the bread and wood system. Back in the late 60s, early 70s, when the Nixon administration and the Vietnam debacle was going on, and suddenly France is sending ships to America to collect the gold because they realize that, uh, I I think America's making promises that they can't pay, and Nixon closes the gold window. Ah, You know what? That whole entire system that was set up at post-World War II to run the entire monetary world order, well, we're not going to do that anymore. So what are we going to do? Oh, don't worry. Kissinger... Rockefeller, mini Rockefeller, swoops in to save the day with the construction of the Petro Petrodollar system, which this the system. You know, don't worry, we'll price oil in dollars, so everyone will need dollars for their oil. And the Saudis have agreed to shuttle all their dollars through the American banking system, so it all it all comes back to us. Don't worry, guys, it's it's still a stable system until Saudi Arabia starts inching out from the American umbrella and starts making. Monetary deals with other countries, but that'll never happen. Oh wait, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So we're in this weird world where, look, when when uh, they when they set up that uh, petrodollar arrangement, America was buying two million barrels a day of oil from the Saudis, and you know it made sense. I mean, it's crazy, but it, it we were the biggest customer, so maybe you maybe a, you know make some exceptions for the biggest customer. Now we're buying, what, 400, 500,000 barrels a day? Guess who's buying 2 million barrels a day from the Saudis? Chinese are. So if you're Mohammed bin Salman, you go, I got these Americans over They're just such a pain in the ass to deal with. And we've got the Chinese. We think we don't get too bogged down with what our people think, really. You know, I mean, we're kind of like we're running our own thing. Hey, you buy 2 million barrels. A day. You're my favorite customer. Petro Yuan, James Corbett? Petro, you on maybe
1: yeah well yeah. let
0: start Search world war three is that the trigger for World, world war, war III? 3.
1: and you'll see some reports that i've done on it in the past and i think we are seeing the erection of a i won't even call it alternative monetary uh, order but at any rate a uh the the next stage of the consolidation of global control, Um, because as people may or may not know, search China and and the New World Order or some of the other reports that I've done on this in the past. I think the creation of China as the economic slash military juggernaut that it is today uh, didn't just happen by chance. It happened uh, as part of the global consolidation plan and the coming war that I think will probably, unfortunately, I really do think we are heading towards hot war. But that doesn't mean. I mean, yes, real war, real people on the battlefield, real people dying, but being controlled at the top on both sides, as World War One, World War Two, eh, all of the major conflicts we can think of in our lifetime and beyond. So, uh, at any rate, yes, I think there is this push towards the consolidation of some some sort of alternate system that actually isn't as alternate as you like to think, and. One way of getting a handle on that. There are many different ways, but one way is to look at CIPS, which is the Chinese alternative to the SWIFT system. For people who don't know, the banks, in order to communicate their uh, their transact the transact inter- cross border transactions, uh, they use this thing called the SWIFT network. That um, is the standardized system for communicating information about transactions, and the SWIFT network is totally politically neutral guys. It's run as a private corporation in Belgium or somewhere like that. And anyway, totally neutral has nothing to do with politics. It's just a neutral platform for any bank in the world to communicate information about transactions and help with uh, cross-border settlements. Except in 20, what was it? 2011, 2012, when suddenly the US is pressuring Swift and Swift decides of its own accord guys, No, no political pressure decides to delist Iran from the SWIFT network or um, Iranian banks, and of course, in 2020, Russia and SWIFT and all that. So the writing's been on the wall for quite a long time that the SWIFT network is one of those linchpins of global banking control that is wielded clearly in Washington more so than in Beijing, right? So China decides to set up their own banking uh, communication network, CIPS, and I can't remember what that stands for, China Interbank Payment System, something like that. Um, but as I wrote about several years ago <laughs> and kind of buried in the fi- fine print of the details of the CIPS and how at least how it was originally working when it was originally set up, they were buying network space on the Swift network in order to run their transactions. Oh, really? It was, literally being, it was literally Swift, but don't worry, guys, it's CIPS. <laughs> so I-, I think the whole thing, just exactly the way Anthony Sudden revealed that the Cold War and the battle against the Ruskies was a charade. It was a game. It was pretend. There, They were apps. were same forces were controlling both sides of the Cold War. I think the same forces are controlling both sides of Cold War 2.0. It's the same thing. But anyway, yes, some sort of new monetary system is being erected right now.
0: So you're Russia, you've got sanctions slapped on you by the U S and you, you, you look to Iran and you go, Hey, you guys have had this happen to you. What, how do we get around it? And they say, well, go talk to China. China's got CIPS and, and it's kind of a, you know, it's this, this, uh, you know, it's a workaround project for, for Swift. You can get on that and you go, Oh, that's cool. We can, we can work this out. And they say, well, Hey, by the way, um, We've got BRICS, right? Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. And we're a pretty good, powerful group. We've got what 40% of the world's population be- between us and and and, a, and 25% of GDP. I don't know. we we're we're a player, right? We've just just a couple, we're just five countries. We're a big player. And we've got a dozen, 13 others that want to join. They have applications in. We've got even more that say they might be interested in joining. And now you start talking about a bricks currency or a basket of currencies or maybe some special drawing rights or something along those lines, some sort of, you know, some sort of basket of currencies that maybe we could use. Now you start to see the dollar get a little, a little weak. My question, I wonder is like the dollar gets threatened I mean, whether you're Gaddafi or Saddam Hussein, there's been a lot of people that have said, "Why? Why are we using this dollar to, to pay? You know, pay for these things? Why don't we use the gold dinar? Why don't I trade oil for food or whatever?" And then you get some democracy dropped on your ass from twenty thousand feet, and and all of a sudden those ideas go away. But not so fast with the BRICS system because you've got you really have big players involved in this. Is this the real threat you think to the dollar? A competitor, a competitive currency that maybe doesn't necessarily dethrone the dollar, but it siphons off some of the energy away from the dollar and makes it less appealing. And 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 at a time when we've hyperinflated, I mean, frankly, we we should be wheelbarrowing U.S. dollars to the grocery store to buy a carton of milk at this point, but we're not. But at some point, is is bricks the real uh, monetary threat to America?
1: Yeah. A couple of things to respond to there. One is that, yeah, should be, but we're not wheelbarrowing no. buckets of dollars to the store to buy a loaf of bread. Why is that? So anyway, the again, pause for thought for people who have been listening to the the people who've been screaming for the past two decades that hyperinflationary events just around the corner, guys, just around the corner. Well, they always seem to be able to kick that can down the road a little bit further, yeah. don't they? So there's something to that that I think speaks to the the fundamental nature of money itself and how it is essentially a confidence game, top to bottom. And as long as the public believes in it, it will continue to function, essentially. But having said that, yeah, yes. Uh, right. Okay. So I have to frame this in the right way, because again, people understand this in a certain way. Yes. Does the the sort of the rise of some sort of BRICS block slash trading block slash currency, th- is this a threat to the US dollar hegemony? Yes. Is this a threat to the globalist plan? I don't think so at all, because the destruction of the U.S. dollar hegemony and the U.S. monopolar world is part of the game plan towards the creation of the global government infrastructure. So this is all part of the plan. But yes, in that phony, constructed, controlled system, they have to scuttle the dollar, and that is happening right now. And this creation of this alternative, totally alternative system by these champion crusaders who are fighting against the evil globalists, but wait, what's Russia and China, What what's their position on such things as central bank digital? Cur- oh, they're way ahead of the pack. They are all, in fact, China is way ahead with their digital yuan and the digital ruble is already being piloted and trialed and started. So yeah, you better believe they are 100% on board with the ultimate agenda of control over their citizens. And uh, where do we get the whole social credit? I, oh, right, the Chinese, that's right. They're gonna be the saviors, guys. So again, you understand why I'm so deeply cynical about the people who are telling me that the bricks are going to be the saviors of humanity but at any rate within the controlled uh paradigm that we're given yes the bricks are a competitor to the u.s dollar
0: hegemony are they an actual comp they're, but they're more like a pro wrestling competitor right where they're gonna i think that's the way to
1: see it and of course again let's not be comic book about it now, i this does not mean that i think that vladimir putin and xi jinping and whoever else you want to name if you can name anyone else in these governments which is actually <laughs> probably point. a good test for uh, would i listen seriously to someone who couldn't tell me who is the defense minister of russia i've got sergey lavrov dmitry
0: minister. dmitry Medvedev, vladimir putin uh shogun shogu and and then that that's all i got for you yeah and hey, I,
1: if via Copa, I couldn't do a lot better, which is why I do not focus on the internal politics of these countries as if I'm going to tell you how these work. But yeah, something to think about, if how much do you really know about these? Anyway, uh, having said that, I completely lost the plot of what your question
0: was. <laughs> Well, just 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 wondering about like, oh, yeah, right.
1: sorry yes, the comic book version of of fake pro wrestling. It does not mean that I think there is a central script that's given by the ruler of the New World Orders sitting at the head of the 13 person table, giving everyone their script. And you must read the script. I don't think that's how this works. But who ultimately controls? the the development of of plants is the financiers as yeah. always as ever and the people who are financing one side or another get essentially to control who is winning in whatever stage of whatever economic slash geopolitical conflict is taking place, and then ultimately who wins in the end. So uh, I think we we focus on the shadows on the cave wall, the the politician puppets that are dangled out in front of us as if they're leading the country and they're making decisions, guys. And yet, you know, who who's the governor of the Central Bank of Russia or the People's Bank of China? Like Maybe some of these figures need a little bit more attention, huh?
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, last time you were on, we talked about the when Obama had his pivot to Asia, right, and, and what that was and what that meant militarily. But I wonder now, Belt and Road Initiative. Okay, this is a massive plan. It feels a little money laundry ish to me. I don't know, or maybe like trying to get money out of China as a, as a, as a as an option to get it out and then circulate it somewhere else. But you know from a geopolitical strategy standpoint you are talking about allowing China to have access to many ports along this Southeast Asia South Asia up the you know into into parts of even Europe to have a Chinese port is the belt and road initiative what we are told it is is it really about trade is it really about or is it about diversifying? Is it about connecting East and West? Or is it more like we want to have our guy, our Chinese guys in the ports, knowing what's coming in and out of these ports so that we can make moves accordingly?
1: All right. So I think it's important to understand Um I, I will have to raise the uh, the specter of 3D chess, which I know has been thoroughly, <laughs> completely <laughs> trivialized over the past several years. But in my defense, I was talking about it a decade ago. And <laughs> I, I think it is it does provide us with some way of looking at this. So I, as I've said before, I think there is the 3D chess game that goes on. And from the 3D chess perspective, you get to see that, for example, this team is working with this other team. It's just that we are generally looking at the 2D chess board and we see these pieces kind of appearing and disappearing. Where did they go? Because we're not looking 3D, so we don't know what's happening on the board, right? So most people, I would say most people, even people within militaries and governments probably are on that 2D board and believe themselves to be in that nation state. Um, war that is going on. So, from that perspective, yes, sure. If you wanted to build up China, if you, for some reason, somehow, I don't know, I guess the Chinese industriousness and pluck just sort of started to build momentum in the 80s for no particular reason and no banking agreements that we should ever look into. But anyway, China suddenly starts to become this economic snowball rolling downhill and great gaining power and steam and suddenly it's the second or maybe the biggest economy in the world depending on how you measure that and wow you know amazing so how do you convert that economic capital into political geopolitical capital well of course you start spending that money on infrastructure for connecting and trading with uh, people i mean of course it makes total 100 logical sense from the 2d perspective right Absolutely. That's what any normal, rational person would do in their national interest if they are playing that particular game. So, yes, from that perspective, it is what it appears. Absolutely. It is a country that is using its economic capital to essentially buy geopolitical capital. Um, Even from that perspective, I think we can one way of sort of uh, understanding what's going on. It would be like looking at, say, the U.S. post-World War II and you look at their Marshall plan and the incredible amounts of money they spent you know building up europe and and spending all this money helping the poor people of europe you know what a wonderful magnanimous gesture on the part of the us that had oh wait maybe maybe the same people who would understand oh you know no of course that's just them buying certain geopolitical capital in a new New World Order game that they're playing um, in order to create, essentially, the American Empire, which, by the way, is not as benevolent, fluffy, and loving as it likes to portray itself. Well, similarly, yeah, we could look at China starting to use their largesse to build up all this wonderful infrastructure that they're doing out of the goodness of their hearts because the Chinese people love the people. Oh, wait, no, of course, it's a cynical ploy to build up geopolitical capital. And, of course, also to start the links that become the... the the basis for various military linkages that come on later, right? And we started to see that with the construction of Chinese military bases and probably more to come, but... That's the long way off. And so now everyone's concentrating on the economic capital and the idea that there's debt trap diplomacy that goes on, that China is committing these countries to 99 year leases of this infrastructure that they're building out of the goodness of their heart. But by the way, you know, there's a there's a lot of debt to be repaid on this. Then you better be making your annual payments or we might come and possess some of your infrastructure. Anyway, there's a lot going on with regards to that. But yes, this is happening. And uh, of course it does. So again, from that 2D perspective, of course, this presents an obvious national security threat to the U.S. and its foreign policy interests, which is why, um, for example, several years ago, I was writing about Balochistan or Balochistan or it's spelled and pronounced different ways in English. But at any rate, the uh, the Balochis. Um, and their struggle for independence um, against Pakistan and what's going on there. And like, wh- wh- why is Dana Rohrbacher and George Clooney and others getting involved in this fight, as I was reporting on several years ago? Oh, that's because the Balochi region is part of this port of Gwadar, which is An important part of this Belt and Road initiative, getting Chinese goods out from Africa and up to Pakistan, where it could be shipped off by rail through the Chinese-Pakistan economic corridor. That's a key part of this whole Belt and Road initiative. Oh, and that's why suddenly American congressmen really care about the plight of the poor Balochi people. So anyway, yeah, the the 2D game is absolutely taking place, and there are a lot of people who are really fighting it. Uh, I just think there's more going on to it than, than that.
0: What do you think Saudi Arabia is doing? Because we've got MBS in there. He's taken over. He moved that uh, the PIF under him. So he's in charge of the sovereign wealth fund now. He's got a little under a trillion dollars to play with. He's doing live golf. They're building golf. They're getting Formula One in Saudi Arabia, which sounds like a crazy idea to me. It is this uh, just let's we've got a bunch of money, let's whitewash our crimes against humanity and let's come out of this looking like we're really involved in boxing and MMA and, um, you know, and, and all these. We're going to build the Neom City. We're going to bo- build a floating octagon of industrial warehouses. We're going to build a hundred mile by hundred mile economic corridor in the middle of the fucking desert, you know, <laughs> nobody cares about. Like it again, back to like, You're the Saudis. You're sitting on 70 trillion barrels of oil or whatever. You know, I mean, why would you be pivoting away from oil at this point? It seems weird to me that they've got all this money and that they're trying to buy Mm. a better reputation with a guy who has kind of a bad reputation for being in that head chopper kind of uh, area. So, I mean, kind of kind of, when it's convenient to point that out. But yes,
1: okay, first thing w- we should point out is that the Saudi dynasty is one of the most disgusting blights on the history of humanity that has ever existed in the way that they rule over their people. But in a kind way, I suppose, because if you are a- actually Saudi instead of one of the foreign workers that they bring in to do all their menial labor, you at least get, or have always had, up to this point at any rate, and a relatively cushy life with government guarantees and social uh, system in place for you because of the oil largesse but essentially that's buying off the uh the possibility that they will be overthrown at some point because yes when we talk about saudi arabia it's the country named literally after the house of saud the saudis um which is this royal family that again presumes to rule over the entire arabian peninsula because god put them in place or more more to the point, the U.S. and the British helped put them in place. Um, oh God, in World War U.S. But what's the difference? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so that is important to keep in mind. But yeah, yeah, interesting, right? MBS is this horrible, bloody butcher dictator. When when it's convenient to point that out to sort of press the point and to get some better deals. Uh, out of the US-Saudi relationship. But when it's not convenient and when we're trying to get them to, you know, to do, oh, don't go to China and, well, oh, we need some more of your oil this week. Can you pump a bit more? And suddenly that goes away and you see Biden, like every other, with Trump and Obama and everyone before him bowing and placating and doing the sword dance with the Saudis, of course. So, yeah, that's an interesting game that goes on there. And it is interesting, the relationship that this, the US and Saudis have had in this in this petrodollar system, in this new monetary world order, because there is always that sort of Damocles hanging over the Saudi's head that, you know, we could go full on, we could talk about some of the interesting Saudi connections to 9-11. We could let people start suing in the US system and getting the information out. And, and then we could let the limited hangout of, yeah, look, it was those so- Saudis who did 9-11, I tell you, they could let that happen. Or, you know, you guys could play ball with us and we won't let that happen. So there's I think that 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 dynamic is going on as well. Um, But again, I always want to pull back from the 2D picture to the bigger 3D picture and what's really going on on the big, big scheme of things. And from that perspective, uh, yeah, I think the Saudi relationship is one of the bellwethers of the shifting from the unipolar world to the multipolar world, which, again, I think is part of the script, part of the plan. But when Saudi is firmly heading towards the Chinese sphere of influence, is the point at which the old world order collapses of necessity, as I say, because the petrodollar system is predicated on that U.S.-Saudi relationship. So it's a it's a pretty important one for understanding where the world is going.
0: It it certainly is. I mean, the the idea that the 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 I mean, if if a Bush was a, was the president, either H.W. or W. right now. Think the Saudis would be talking to the Chinese? Think that would ever happen under under his watch with Bandar Bush as his guy in there installed, sort of make it but. It times are changing. I don't know. Is it because Joe yeah. Biden? They have no respect for him, or or have we just gotten to page sixty four yeah. of the script? And it's like, no. <laughs> oh, this is the pivot away from uh from the U.S. Scene yeah. scene thirty seven. The the Saudis wake up and decide that they want to do business in the east more yeah. so than they want to in the west. Is I don't, I don't yeah. know. Yeah.
1: No. More the latter. More the latter. And I I just got done saying I don't think there's a literal script. So I'm gonna have to come up with a better analogy for that. But Maybe we could think of the uh, the financiers and the people really pulling the strings are writing a writing a novel, and they know what's happening. They're the omniscient narrators who get to decide essentially who's who's getting the money this week and what you know who who's winning this particular struggle. So they get to write what is going to happen, uh, more or less, and the other people are unwitting characters in this novel play that's going on i don't think they're literally reading from a script but when 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 times move on so do the relationships and i think that's exactly the point it has nothing to do with bush and 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 bandar bush and their relationship per se it's just that that was the particular relationship in time in that place and time for that particular agenda which was part of the neocon agenda which was part of a much bigger agenda towards the, the, the pinnacle, the zenith of the U- U.S. unipolar world that we've seen over the past few decades, which is also the point at which we start to see the decline. And what? U- U.S. can't even take Afghanistan after 20 years and they pull out and leave all their stuff behind. Wow. What a mess. It's almost again, as if hmm, maybe, maybe the entire stage play that we've been watching isn't necessarily what's, what's really going on. But anyway, yeah. I, so I, I don't think it would matter if it was Bush or Trump or anyone else in the nominal position of the Oval Office at this point, the relationship is governed by forces that are beyond that stage of political power games. Yeah.
0: It's so, it's so fascinating to watch. I remember going, I went to high school with a bunch of Saudi ki- a bunch of uh, da- uh, Aramco uh, kids that had gone to that, that who's, Family worked in Tehran, and and they they lived there and went to school there. But school ended in ninth grade, and so they'd send them all off to boarding school for tenth grade. So I went to boarding school, and we'd get all these kids that would come in. Where are you from? Like we're from Saudi Arabia. No, look, you don't look Saudi. They're like, well, we're Americans, but we we've been living there for a while. That was a big thing in the eighties and nineties, and everybody was, you know, we 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 had this great relationship things have started to change. It seems like our relationship with the Saudis is a little bit more, I don't know. uh, It's not quite as warm as it used to be. We have, um, we have Blinken getting, you know, sort of denied, uh, you know, not, not being treated with much respect from the South. I mean, why would they frankly, but, but um, to see, to see this happen in our, you know, in the last, it seems like it's happening fast. It seems like it's accelerating. It's, it's wild to watch, but, uh, well let's wrap up on this because I remember you doing an episode god it must have been two it had to have been at least 2 years ago and it was and and I think given the fact that we're in this real di- digital heavy world and and it doesn't appear that we're we're moving into an analog world anytime soon you did an episode talking about salting your information <laughs> and I really like the concept of that. I really like the idea of not giving these bastards anything, you know, to 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 make sure that the information that you are spit generating as a as a user of cell phones and 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 computers and banking and whatnot, that that we we throw that we give them nothing to work with here. So what's the what's some real easy tips for people that like to you know to make things a little bit more difficult? I, allow yourself even more privacy from the state watching you, but at the same time, make sure that if they're going to get any information from you, it's going to lead them nowhere.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Good topic. I, uh, If people are interested in my full explanation, please do see that Solutions Watch I did a couple of years ago. Now, yeah, salting your data. Um, I think the simplest thing people can do is whenever you re- you are being asked for any sort of information about yourself, the first thing you should ask yourself is, is this some sort of legal requirement? Like, am I literally going to be thrown in jail or charged with perjury or something if I don't answer correctly? And if the answer is yes, then you might want to think about what it is you're doing and what you're signing up for. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe for sure. you don't want to be doing that. But at any rate, if the answer is no, then why on earth would you provide correct, accurate information? It doesn't necessarily mean... So the example I used in that episode was a uh, 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 Skype. Uh, I remember several years ago, On January 1st, uh, I got all these happy birthday messages from various people on Skype. And I'm like, what? On earth is happening. January 1st is not my birthday. (laughs) What is going on? And then I remembered, oh yeah, of course, because when I signed up for Skype, it asked for your age, it asked for your birth date, actually. So of course I put in January 1st, 1907. Like what what are you gonna do? Why on earth would I give it my birthday? Right. But of course, then there was some feature in Skype that particular time. It's never happened again, interestingly. But anyway, at that particular moment, Skype decided we're gonna let everyone know it's your birthday, I guess. (laughs) So anyway, that was that was a good reminder. Yeah, okay. that's one reason why I might salt my data. Why does anyone need to know my precise birth date in order to use their service? I'm over 18. That's all you could potentially, even possibly need to know, right? Um, so anyway, it's things like that. Just basic little things. Don't provide accurate information if you don't have to. And then beyond that, um, another example that I point to in that episode, uh, Ernie Hancock, Declare Independence. I hope people know about him and his show. Um, he's often told a story about a friend of his who subscribed to like Ferret Magazine or something. And he's like, well, what are you doing? You don't have a ferret. And he's like, yeah, that's exactly the point. I want to. I want uh, whatever agent is watching my purchases to puzzle about that one <laughs> and create <laughs> wrong entries in my file, right? Uh, it's just little things that you can do just to throw throw uh, wrenches in the works and 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 actually you know that's increasingly important as we head into the AI age, which is essentially, I mean, at base, it's this incredible data dragnet that is being used to construct the algorithms of the future. We are gladly feeding it all of our data, not only by what we're posting on social media and whatever, but people who literally sign up for, say, chat chat GPT, which, by the way, you have to provide your phone number in order to sign up for it, which is why I haven't and won't. Um, But Uh, People are signing up with their phone number and then asking them all these personal questions and intimate things and revealing their inner thoughts. And that data is being snuffed up and put into the algorithms and being used to determine better ways to handle this or that segment of society for the coming poly crisis. And you better believe that, as I say, I don't know what the next hot war will look like, but I'm betting it won't look anything like granddaddy's World War II. It's going to be very different and it's going to involve algorithms that will be used to process what is going through your mind. And the more we feed, the more accurate information we feed into that data behemoth, the better they will be able to use that data against us. So stop giving them your information if you can give them wrong information. If you can, why on earth would you give them
0: accurate information? I agree. It's it it's it stuck with me. It was an episode I watched a couple years ago. I just remember thinking. So smart. And I wouldn't have even considered it if I hadn't heard that. And now every time I'm asked to fill in data, I'm thinking about, you know, how how can I mess with these people? And and by the way, happy birthday. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What are you working on now? What's coming up at Corbett Report? So
1: actually, as uh, we're recording this conversation, you will note that I'm wearing this particular shirt and you will notice this in my next podcast episode that should be out very soon, I hope, on further down the David Kelly rabbit hole, because we are fast approaching the 20th anniversary of David Kelly's death. And as people in my audience will remember, I did a Requiem for the Suicided episode on David Kelly several years ago, in which I went through the many, many reasons why absolutely the official story of his suicide is complete and total nonsense. David Kelly did not commit suicide. He was murdered. But that is actually sort of the trivial side of the story. Yes, David Kelly was murdered, and it's rather easy to see that. And here, there's this piece of evidence and this piece of evidence, this piece of evidence. If there, if you want more, there's more to look at. But actually, there's a lot more to David Kelly than his death. And there's a lot more to what everyone at least remembers is, oh, yeah, he was like a UN weapons inspector, and he was blowing the whistle about the 45-minute claim, right? That was That was what that was all about. Well, actually, David Kelly had a lot more connection into the very, very dark world of the shady shenanigans that were going on at Porton Down and what have you that I think is worth re-exploring as we approach the 20th anniversary of his murder. So anyway, that's what I'm working on.
0: Nobody does it quite like you, James. You really are the best at this. You're able to take these complex topics or uh, elements that have a lot of details condense them down into a video or an episode that just really makes a lot of sense. And 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 I think the average person out there can connect with it, even if they don't understand all of the backstory, you make it simple for them. I think we really appreciate that. That's James Corbett, everybody. I mean, you know who he is. Go over and support his work, CorbettReport.com. Links will be in the description. If you like this episode, take the additional step right now of sharing it with your friends and family. If you want to connect with me, the website is TheOctopusOfGlobalControl.com. Thanks, everybody. I'll talk to you again soon.